Welcome to the Better Bozo. Today's a fun one. I'm excited for today. Yep. Today we get to introduce Andrew Boyd, good friend. Um, you know what? There are all kinds of bios and a really impressive, um, you know, resume and CV accomplishments that we can attach to that we, you know, we can we can sing Andrew's praise to no end. Uh, but I think what you have in your hand is a much better way to introduce Andrew. If you want to just go ahead and dive in. Great. So Mika brought in this copy of one of Andrew's books called Daily Afflictions. You know how, you know, we live in Boulder. So if you if you pop into the Boulder bookstore, you'll find all these Buddhist self-help books about the daily affirmations. Andrew's version is the daily afflictions. <laughs> Which should tell you a little bit about him. So I opened randomly to one of these. And this one's called Embracing Your Inner Corpse. There's a quote from Milarepa. The thing called corpse we dread so much is living with us here and now. Milarepa. <laughs> this is Andrew. In each of us is an inner corpse struggling to be exhumed. Unlike the corpse you will one day become, this shadow corpse is alive. It is the living presence of death that you carry within you. It is more than your certain knowledge of death's ultimate triumph. It is your portal to nothingness, the other ocean of being. If you can find the courage to unearth and embrace your inner corpse, you can lead a more vivid, expansive, and authentic life. But if you keep your inner corpse buried away, you live a great lie. You distort your search for truth into a project of false immortality. You deny the most solemn core of your being, condemning yourself to premature cheerfulness. <laughs> to the outside world, you might seem healthy, happy, and successful, but your inner corpse might just as well be dead. My inner corpse is not dead. That's pretty good. Yep. Pretty heavy and like sarcastic, but not at the same time. Oh, very deep. <laughs> Very deep. Um, while 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 you're listening to this podcast, and we'll put the links in the show notes, we're gonna we're, look up look up um, the art activist toolbox and laboratory beautiful trouble, which is essentially a a compilation of excellent direct action tactics from around the country. There's a sequel qual- called uh, Beautiful Rising. Out there, which is a, a, a compilation of tactics from around the world, um, essentially, you know, highlighting some some excellent actions led by local activists, each in each in their own city, whether in Istanbul or in Amman or in New York or in New Orleans, um, facing whatever it is they may be facing. Andrew is responsible for this compilation together with a whole bunch of other badass activists from around the, the North America and, and the world. 
Um, other things I'd, I'd, I'd add to that is the climate ribbon, uh, which is, you know, we'll, we'll talk about this when we, when we dive in with Andrew about what it's, what, what we're doing to face the impending reality of, of climate chaos, which Jeff and I have, have not actually tackled so much yet in this, uh, also not alone. Um, but there's an impending doom upon us. And the big question that we may dive into with Andrew today is what are we doing about it? Yeah. Can I jump in? Jump in. Just to time wise. Um, he's got a book coming out. I want a better catastrophe, which points to that thing. This, this, how the hell do we deal with climate chaos? Uh, and it's not a when it's, or it's not an if it's a when. And Andrew writes about that quite a bit. And I wanted to make sure we mentioned, uh, he wrote, Enlightened Machismo, Self-Help for the Post-Asshole. Mm. <laughs> that's, like, that's like better bozo all over it. That's, that's but more evolved. <laughs> sort of like, I feel like uh, Andrew might be somewhere between Jason Lang and us. Sure. He's, yeah. He's, he's Enlightened Men with Jason Lang and Enlightened Machismo, Self-Help for the Post-Asshole, Andrew Boyd mm-hmm. and Mika Kurz and Jeff Howard, better bozo. Uh, unable to come up with his own lifelong ambition, he's been cribbing from Milan Kundera to unite, quote, to unite the utmost seriousness of question with the utmost lightness of form. Is that, in other words, you know, we've been talking about that. How do we apply a sense of humor a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Shit, man. If we can't laugh, we're screwed. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for letting me jump in there. Oh, you know, I I'm I come from the Middle East. We um we interrupt one another. <laughs> <laughs> Shut up! I'm coming in. Yeah, that's good. We could stand to have more of that here. I'm learning from you. That's helpful. Yeah, and and but also if I'm um, if I am abrasive or rude, you can obviously feel free to call that shit out. Okay, great. <laughs> I remember once. Here's a quick story about uh, my journey in masculinity. The word abrasive is what had it come up. So there was a friend of a friend, a man named Andy George. Rest in peace. He died in a snowboarding accident many years ago. Oh, I'm sorry. But hanging out with him, uh, at some point I said to him, Hey, man, you're abrasive. And his response I'm not abrasive. <laughs> I was like, huh. Did you hear yourself just now? It was a really, he was, he was humble enough and self-aware enough to be able to go, oh, shit. <laughs> but that was, that was probably 20 years ago. It was really fun. Tough yeah. to be a man. Tough to be a man sometimes. Way to call in. Way to. We're good. Thanks. Move in there. Early call in without even knowing what it was called. Right. We didn't. I didn't know the, the term call in is is news to me. Yeah. And to many of us. And to many of us. Yeah. We can read another. Oh yeah, the afflictions. And these start with a quote, and then a description, and then a mantra, at the end. And so the quote is by Wei Wu Wei. Why are you unhappy? Because 99.9% of everything you do is for yourself. And there isn't one. Oh, that's cool. Ooh. Wow, heavy deep, man. We're getting Eastern. We all wish for happiness. Some of us desperately. Yet few of us find it. 
Even after you score that cushy job or have that perfect wedding or get that liver spot surgically removed, you are likely to remain unhappy. Dun, dun. Only after years of disappointment do you finally learn that happiness cannot be pursued. It can only emerge as the result of some deeper calling. Being happy requires the rarest of things, to want something more than your own happiness, to lose yourself in a task, to squander yourself for a purpose, to surrender to love. These are the things that make you truly happy. Even the most self-obsessed egomaniacs must give of themselves to advance their own fat-headed self-actualization. In life, as in love, it's only through a selfless act of devotion that your most selfish longings are fulfilled. And the mantra is, selfishly, I give of myself. Mm. Mm. I really love the line, squander yourself for a purpose. Mm. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> Mika and I were just talking about that before we came on here today. Uh, and we talked about this before, and it feels relevant here. I mean, maybe it's always relevant. Uh, giving a shit about things bigger than ourselves feels like an essential part of wellness. And I think Andrew's pointing to that. Um, if we're just selfish dicks, <clears throat> self-indulgent um, it doesn't go well, typically. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah, he writes in w one of his uh, articles he, he sent us uh, in his enlightened machismo. I don't know if this is an excerpt or, or, or what, but he's talking a little bit about um, Fight Club and uh, Tyler Durden, you know, a.k.a the schizophrenic Brad Pitt and Ed Norton at the same time. Um, but he's talking about uh, also a, a New York Observer article called Stuff at Emo Boy, um, where he talks about men, and I'll read this, he looks masculine enough in a scruffy, tending toward boyish way. But he's vulnerable, emotional, subject to mood swings and fits of self-searching. He talks about his feelings. A lot. His fears and secret aspirations, his family pressures, his anxiety. He is sensitive, but often more sensitive to his own emotions than to those of the woman sitting across from him at dinner. Could it be that what she thought at first blush was sensitivity turns out to be good old-fashioned self-absorption? Which I see that a lot. Dudes thinking lots of themselves. And it, it kind of bumps into spiritual capital and spiritual... Uh, Currency, spiritual bypass, shit like that. Mm. Yeah, and that was... When did that movie come out? That was... I think a long time ago. That was in like 1999, I think. Yeah, maybe. It's amazing that that... I mean, that is such a reference to... To, I think, a lot of what we're talking about here. I think Fight Club actually came out and... Maybe kickstarted the Better Bozo movement a little bit. That well, schizophrenia between, yeah. How am I supposed to be showing up? Am I supposed to be sensitive? Am I supposed to be the machismo? What am I supposed to be doing here? I'm confused. Yeah, I like how he languages this here too. Inside each of us is a player, full of violence, lust, and charisma, and also a nice guy, tender, self-critical, good-hearted, and seeking a loving, emotional connection with one woman. 
It's not that one is good and the other is bad. If we were too much one or too much the other, we'd end up as some caricature of a man, a soulless fuck machine, or the kind of neutered loser Norton meets at his 12-step support groups, who, in a not-so-subtle metaphor, have grown breasts as they recover from testicular cancer. Instead, what we need is to integrate both of these polarities into a more evolved personality. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open the Zoom link and, and, and we'll just see what we got if, if Andrew's waiting in the wings. Hello, hey Andrew. Hello. Welcome. Oh, here we are. Boom. Yeah, nice to meet you, sir. You as well, Andrew. From 2,000 miles away, at least. Yeah, um, it's good. I'll be in your neck of the woods Friday. I like it. it. Looks like you have a ra- you're in like a radio studio, you know, with the guitar <laughs> hanging on the back of the wall. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, you have like your your uh, you know license to practice you know therapy while operating a uh, you know dangerous machinery <laughs> a certificate in the back. Yeah, I've got my chainsaw uh, certificate up here somewhere. Clock ticking down. Yeah. Um, which you know makes me think of Lacan and how he had therapy sessions in the back of a taxi and he could kick people out after five minutes or keep them in there for three hours and he wanted to sort of you know mess with the boundaries of the fifty-five minute bourgeois you know sort of uh, you know two hundred dollar appointment so I don't know that's what I'm keying off of there. Mika, you have less hair than when I last saw you. It's What's true. happening? Man? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna grow enough for both of us. Okay? I saw, man! Congratulations! Can you can you tie it already? Is it? Can you ponytail? Oh, no, it? I'm not. No, Katie won't allow it. You know, I, she has you know control over my hair. You know, it's important <laughs> to have accountability in your relationships with women, and that you know she's in charge of my hair. So, oh my goodness, there's a lot to unpack right there. No ponytails. Anyway. <laughs> it's an interesting form of accountability. <laughs> That's where it, it begins and ends there. Let me tell you. With the ponytail or no ponytail. <laughs> Unless um, my partner says no ponytails. <laughs> okay. Cool. Well, so we've been enjoying the preparation for our conversation, realizing that there's so much richness to dive into and that we probably won't be able to unpack all the things we want to today. We can't save the world, sir. You know, what is it? Save the world's, uh, fix the world's problems in, in, in 90 minutes. What, what kind of podcast is this? <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to another edition of, well, if we fixed all the problems in a 90 minute episode, we'd be done. Well, you're, you know, isn't one of the jobs of the organizer to make themselves dispensable? No, anyway. <laughs> yes, yes, that is absolutely right. But there were, sorry, you were going to, no, no, go ahead. There were four, there were four topics that you did. Um, kind of highlight, and that that that's a good framework to begin with, just to be able to frame the conversation. And already, I can feel like these four are quite a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. But just to, do you want to list them, Jeff? Sure. Uh, this first one I like a lot: reinventing masculinity, or this feels like a Peter Sellers film: how to be a <laughs> mensch but with an edge. Uh, the second one, which I also like a lot, political correctness as basic courtesy slash kindness slash awareness slash respect. Blah, blah, blah. Versus political correctness as the quasi-religious thought policing we rightfully hate. I really want to talk about that. Okay. Uh, the heart work, curious about what that means, required in order to grapple with the depth and darkness of our climate predicament. 
and the role of humor in all of the above. So there, yeah. Well, you asked for four topics and I, that's what I pulled out of my, some, some orifice <laughs> or another. Um, yeah, well, so maybe just to get us started, it feels, um, we're going to come to the hard work required to deal with the, our climate our quote climate predicament. I know Andrew that you don't necessarily see this as a climate predicament, but that oh. you've been grappling, uh, diving deep into what it means that the world as we know it is is essentially coming to an end. Uh, not to be dramatic, but it is dramatic. Um, and I want to. I want to. Um, and and since Jeff and I have not discussed that nearly enough over the last few episodes. Um, I want to discuss that. And I also kind of want to ask, and we don't have to dive directly into what it means to be looking into that reality, you know, again, as cis, white, straight men. And is there a difference between how we experience this to other people who might be experiencing climate chaos in a different, in a different way? Is that, is that, uh, yeah, we can start anywhere. It's, you know, um, um, yeah. So there's a, a phrase that, you know, you try to, one of my things I try to do with is to, is to take on, you know, because we're alive and things are serious, right? Um, we're in a serious moment in history and, and, um, Life is just serious sometimes. So, but like, uh, humor is a, an essential coping mechanism and a and a and a powerful way to um, hold darkness and hold difficulty and bring down the powerful. And it has all sorts of uses. And and so, when I one of the things, the phrases that I came up with, and when I brought the humor to bear on exactly this question of of sort of of. Um, uh, our civilization is reaching a point at which it cannot go on the way it has. Right. And we're going to, we're, we're headed for a crash of some kind and hopefully for a, a transition, but like a combination of collapse and transition. <laughs> um, and so one of the, and, and then we're looking at how does privilege intersect with that momentous uh, macro occurrence. And one of the concepts I came up with, the phrases I came up with is we're all in this together, not <laughs> right? you know whatever that's a bit of 90s humor or whatever like shows you know, i'm showing my age there but but you know and maybe a, almost a talmudic sort of you know paradox in there right so it's true and it's not true we are all in this together and that we're humanity as a whole is facing a crisis and facing a a, a reckoning long coming you know between uh over over extraction and the poisoning of our oceans and skies and uh, kind of coming to the limits, exhausting the limits of the model that we've been using for the last, you know, 200 years, particularly the last say 40 years of, of, of hyper extraction and neoliberalism, whatever. So um, shit's going to happen and it's going to be different for the people who have sort of privilege and access and ability to sort of pay their way into a, uh, sort of retreat from the worst, the, the, the bleeding edge of it into sort of safety, but it's going to happen to all of us, going to happen to all of us differently. So we're all in this together, not, right? Like, so <laughs> I can pay for uh, bottled water, more and more expensive bottled water as that becomes a more precious commodity. I can sort of, uh, I have the means, um, uh, you know, I am a white male, so I kind of circulate within the 
the uh, this you know society i'll get less likely to get stopped at internal borders if there's if there's climate refugees sort of yeah. moving within within our borders etc cetera, etc cetera. so i can re- more likely to relocate right um so so it's you know uh we're all in this together not it's a civilization wide crisis and yet um people that have done least to uh bring about the crisis have produced the least amount of carbon over the last 200 years people in the global south poor people people of color People who live in less well-serviced communities are going to be hit the hardest, um, and those of us with more mobility and uh, uh, resources are able to buffer buffer those uh, difficult situations as they come down the pike. So, uh, just to sort of set us off, okay, you guys, uh, yeah. I don't want to hear myself talk so much. So all right, all right. That's no, just I, one little framing there. Well, I got a prime example that that back in the the California wildfires um, recent. <clears throat> Kanye West paid private firefighters to save his mansion. Really? Right. That happened? That happened. So there's a great example of exactly the thing you're talking about, which is, and Mika's pointing to, oh yeah, I'm loaded, so um, let's, I don't know, suck up the water from that lake and spray it around my place while everybody else's houses burn. Well, the concept of hiring firefighters, I didn't know that existed. Uh, sure. Private prisons, private firefighters, private cops. Oh, that causes me. I thought I thought we hadn't reached that phase yet where they're privatized firefighting. I didn't think so either until I heard that nugget several months ago. I mean, I remember an anecdote. This is you know not having to do with climate, but you know it has to do with firefighters. Since we're talking about it, you know, which you know again, the the, the you know sexy intellectual firefighter being the ultimate you know male role model, you know, if we want to build a segue to the rest of the program. Um, in any case, uh, I think in Texas, there was a privatization of the fire department in, in, in a town. I can't remember. This was about 10 years ago or so. And, you know, some of the houses were insured and some of them weren't. Some of them were, had paid their monthly fees for, to this fire, uh, private, privatized fire company. And one of those houses caught on fire, the, you know, and the firefighters or the, the community, maybe a couple houses, I think it was caught on fire. And the firefighters came and they put out the fires for the houses that had paid into this privatized wow. subscription plan and let the other <laughs> house go up wow. in, in smoke. And so that that's a sort of what what Naomi Klein would call like the bad timing of the intersection of the climate crisis, along with um, the hyper privatization and the market can solve all problems and yeah. the, the hollowing out of, of of infrastructure and the commons uh, that we all need right now in a very, very big way, if we're going to both mitigate the crisis by taking sort of, you know, strategic infrastructure, you know, bold transformations from a carbon-based, you know, a fossil fuel-based economy to a to a um, renewables-based economy, but also uh, a strong community, strong infrastructure, strong um, emergency firefighters, et cetera, emergency, you know, first responders, et cetera, uh, to kind of mitigate, you know, to sort of... Uh, create resilient communities in the face of all of these uh, dislocations and disasters. So it's like both, it's this, what she calls bad timing, right? That when we realize we're facing this sort of civilization-wide existential threat, we have the wrong models for how to govern society, mm. you know, which are extremely individualistic and, um, you know, have, have allowed corporate power to wield such a deforming influence on our, on our social fabric. Yeah. So anyway, that's that's we're stuck in the teeth of that. Yeah, that that feels like the private f- subscription to your local firefighter thing is pretty gross, and it's 
Seems like it leans or tends toward disaster capitalism, which Naomi Klein also talks about. Yeah. Right? Like, ooh, hey, let, that shit went down there. Let's rebuild it. We'll make a lot of money on that contract. Mm-hmm. Similar kind of deal. Like, there's those in power getting more power and those that don't getting less. So, here, I'll t- I want to tell you, you know, speaking of my girlfriend who won't uh, permit me to put a ponytail <laughs> on. No top um, nuts. She, this, she told me, she was sharing with me a, you could call it a, um, an alternate creation myth. It's almost, but it's, it's sort of a destruction myth, but it's an alternate creation myth uh, from uh, pre-Norman invasion, you know, England from the era of, you know, where there's a lot of the legends of the Holy Grail and uh, came, came out of and that sort of Gaelic, Celtic, sort of misty, uh, misty uh, prehistory. Hmm. Um, and it's called the Women of the Well, I believe. And it's a, it's a, the reason I bring it up is because it, it speaks to both the, say the disconnection from the earth that are, that we are experiencing. And that is sort of written into our, the DNA of our, you know, the dominant stories of our civilization, as well as um, the, the, the sort of, it's a creation myth of the patriarchy, right? And they sort of, in this story, they happen in the same, in the same kind of uh, narrative move, right? So the, this is during the, the kingdom of the Fisher King, which you may know from the, um, Robin Williams, Jeff Bridges film and, and, and sort of that kind of story. Um, but it's uh, uh, Cornwall. This takes place in Southwest England in Cornwall, which was relatively isolated from the rest of England due to a, a river that had no bridge. Um, and any visitors would come across the river by, by barge or however, and the women of the well would greet them. And if they, um, and there was a kind of almost a, a, social contract or an understanding or a, or a, a ritual acknowledgement of that they were passing into this realm and they could have some water from the well so long as they respected the people and the customs and uh, what have you. And so they would, the women were managing uh, this, uh, you know, the lifeblood of the society, which was the, the drinkable water. And they would give them a cup of water and they would have be on their way and, and there would be a mutuality that would be sort of... Uh, ritualized, um, sacralized in that, in that arrangement. And then, um, a bunch of, uh, warriors came and the women of the well, you know, served them the water, but he instead raped her and imprisoned her. And, uh, over time, uh, the water, you know, the, the water, the well sort of fell into disuse. Um, th- there was no fresh water uh, there was a enslavement of the broad population. There was a disconnection from the earth. The, our connection of the giving, the, sort of respect of the earth and the return of its of its bounty uh, to society was broken, and women were enslaved, and uh, a sort of warrior caste uh, ruled the land. And so, in that in that um, in that sort of abrogation of the women caretaking women's wisdom over the earth was both the sort of founding of the patriarchy and the seeds of our ecological crisis sort of in this one myth sown in one go. And that just seems re- relevant to the topics that we're talking about and the, the central thrust that of your, of your guys' podcast. And it's, it's been very, that's been cling clanging around in my heart and brain for the last week, that story as a, as a, you know, it's why it's, is it a creation myth or a destruction myth? You know, anyway, it's a, it's a, feels like the creation of the asshole myth. 
It's a, <laughs> the, it's the creation myth of the asshole scene. <laughs> the asshole scene era. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that's how it ends. It doesn't end with a um the the woman who was no enslaved. Is there? Story? Yeah. Does it does it end with a? That's it's a that's not a happy oh. ending. No. Well, we're and we're living in that unhappy ending, right? Uh, we're living in that unhappiness. You know, we're I think still that's in sort the, of the shit. Point. Yeah. Well, thanks, Katie, for... <laughs> um, yeah, way to bring it home. Huh. You know, we can't... I can't... The, the metaphor that we're using, and it's obviously not a metaphor, with Kanye paying for his private firefighters in California and the fires that happened this summer again in California happening every summer and the fires that are happening right now in Australia, oh, just following God. that yeah. is insane, watching... Watching yeah. a whole continent ablaze and and over half a yeah. million species or half a million animals being burnt and, and how we're dealing with that and, and and these are so these are not metaphors as we as we no. discuss you know if, if one neighbor can afford insurance and the other neighbor can't it really becomes an irrelevant question because if the neighbor's house is on fire your house will catch. Yeah, it's not right. These these you can't silo off this as as your problem or only somebody else's problem or whatever. And then the news from Australia, the images and the news from Australia are are really sickening. And just to speak to this, the economics of firefighting, since it seems to be a thread, mm-hmm. is that most of these firefighters are volunteers, and there's been incredible resistance on the their their budgets were slashed last year, and there's been incredible resistance by the current government. Um, you know, a, a conservative and very, uh, you know, climate, just to a degree, uh, climate change denying or certainly unwilling to sort of uh, reckon with it in any serious way, uh, government. And they've been, they've slashed the budgets of firefighters and they had to be forced under sort of popular pressure. And it got ugly with, um, uh, you know, uh, what's it called? Um, He's been insulted to his face by by people who have been uh, whose whose communities have been ravaged by fire. The, the the prime minister Morrison, I think his name is. Sorry, I have that wrong. Um, and um, like he had to have his, his the government had to have its feet put to the fire just to give you know bare stipends to these firefighters who were saving you know all of these towns and houses and communities and and. Um, uh, shepherding people through the through the fires to safety, and it's just like what what does that say? At what level, you know, how is it that politics and ideology is so is still overwhelming the the the, the raw evidence and 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 overwhelming the compact the possible compassion that you would have here to offer? Right, they're not wanting to give an inch because it would be sort of admitting something ideologically that you know to the to their political uh, competitors that they don't want to admit. I mean, it's just it's just inhuman and extreme yes that that particular example andrew that kind of shit boils my blood and i end up feeling really ineffective there when i'm just pissed off at what i consider to be uh conservative self-indulgent greedy fuckers um and and i want to know what do we do here i mean you write uh i think really intelligently about a lot of this so what's your take on that what the hell do we do in terms of how do you know sort of normal guys like maybe 
I don't know if we're all normal. I don't know. I'm using another <laughs> term. Uh, average. I don't know if we're average either, but we'll just say average guys for the sake of this. What the hell do we do with this? Like, mm-hmm. you know, that doesn't sit well in my craw. Um, no, and it's, it's kind and of, I, I'm not going to fly to Australia and help fight <clears throat> fires. And this is also a, a bit of a um, a pandemic in terms of what we're pointing to. Yeah, it's very hard to grok. It is hard to grok. And to figure out, because I want to be active, but at the same time, when I try to be active, all I kind of really want to do is go back to bed and hide under the covers because it just seems so... So overwhelming. I mean, the continent is on fire. You mentioned Morrison, Scott Morrison, and our, our, not just in Australia, but here too, the climate denial is, climate chaos yeah. denial is, is prevalent still. And our commons, you know, you, you mentioned Nomi Klein and, and, and the way it's, it feels like the commons are, are, are the agreements that it feels like we've, we have a, a steady foundation to stand on. Are are being are unraveling, um, you know. It, it, I don't know that twenty years ago there would have been. Can you? I don't think twenty years ago there were such a thing as private firefighters. Um, and in that sense, these these kind of agreements that I I felt confident in are it turns out are are also falling apart right out from under us. And um, yeah, yeah. Uh, what does Gramsci say? Um... The old world is dying and the new world is struggling to be born. And it is a such a time is a time of monsters, right? And we have one who happens to be occupying the Oval Office right now. And there's a monstrous ideology that's undermining our efforts to sort of come to terms with, with what's happening and, and kind of create a new framework um, by which we can uh, address the problems in an egalitarian and, and you know, and, and head-on kind of way. So... Um, I mean, what to be what is to be done is like, you know, there's a million things, right? So if we're talking about, you know, what is to be done about the climate by just, you know, three folks, you know, sitting around a uh, a microphone with a guitar on the back of the, <laughs> the you know, the back of the wall. Um, I mean, there's a million things. So where do we, you know, where do we go? It's like we, we you know, uh, there's there's you could break it into two levels if you have to, uh, but there's many more, which is the individual level and then the a sort of structural, systematic, collective action kind of level, right? So at the individual level, uh, you know, there's the carbon footprint piece of it, right? Which is um, fly less, you know, eat less animal products. Yeah. Uh, those are, you know, have less children. These are three of the big things you can do as individuals, you know, and, and, and these are... No. Some of these are easier than others, you know, and some you may have already had children and then what? You I know? have two so, children, yep. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, no, and no one's. <laughs> um, but these are the questions people are facing, and it's it's heartbreaking. Uh, you know. Um, anyway, we could go off in so many different directions in those, but that's sort of three, three sort of probably the most impactful things you can do at the very individual level, um, just in terms of concrete changes in your in your habits and your carbon footprint kind of level of things. Um, at the collective level, there's, uh, you know, there's. What's interesting, you make a list of all the things, you know, oh, there's uh, putting solar on your roof. There's, um, uh, you know, coming up with a transition town plan for your community. There's, um, you know, statewide and national green new deals, et cetera. Um, But I heard very interesting, the thing that could be most effective at um, dealing with our climate crisis is not voting for Republicans. (laughs) <laughs> you know, which is sort of a, 
thing to put on the list and nobody wants it to be that way. I mean, McCain, McCain ran as a climate realist, right? That wasn't that long ago. Yeah. And, but the, you know, the entire party or a large chunk of the party has, uh, of the Republican party has taken this horrific sort of, um, it's the most polarizing issue in America today. It's more polarizing than abortion. Uh, if you look at sort of people's views on abortion and people's party uh, uh, affiliations, there's more of a stark alignment around uh, around the issue of climate change than the issue of abortion. So that's wow. just politically where we're at. Um, so there's not voting for Republicans. You want to definitely put that on the list. Um, um, you know, and then and we could, you know, uh, pipelines roll through your town and you, you know, take direct action to stop them. You yeah, know? there's a ton of um, fracking all, in Colorado. Including so. the, all these young people in these climate strikes. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, there's, there's been a, you know, getting your community or, or, or town or county or region or state to declare a climate emergency and back that up with real action. Uh, the list is long, right, <laughs> for things that, you know, to do. And some of them feel like, well, what's the point? That's a different question. But there's many, 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 many things we can do on just, the, on just that uh, front. <laughs> um, uh, but you also want to think about, you know, I, I know you guys are really concerned with what can we do as sort of men, right? Or what can we do as as white allies? men? Well, maybe maybe just to zoom in and sharpen that a little bit, because I feel like <clears throat> when when it comes to, I don't know where these conversations happen. If to define them as frontline conversations or marginalized conversations, or when when I feel like I'm part of a social or political movement that over the last decade is, is, is at least as, as a white cis straight man, is, is in the midst of realizing that it is, might not be for me to hold the megaphone or hold the microphone and lead a movement anymore, even though I was raised thinking that it is my job. I'm learning lately that it may well be uh, uh, my turn to step back and to take leadership from communities who are uh, impacted more by the climate by climate chaos around us? Oftentimes, these are communities of color or indigenous communities. Um, and I have to be honest; I don't quite always know how to do that. I feel like I'm fumbling up a learning curve regarding a how to take leadership, which means humbling myself, mm -hmm. um, and b when it comes to actual organizing. Because I feel a sense of urgency, but also I'm told, and I've read some of what you're writing, that the sense of urgency that I'm feeling is maybe a sense of urgency that I'm new to. I'm new to, to a conversation that may well be uh, taking place. It's been going on for a long, long time. And I'm, um, and I, and I'm panicking, um, and, and I'm not quite sure how, what my role is here. Does that does all that make sense? Does that does that ring? Yeah, um, sure. Um, what is what's your best? Uh, what's your hypothesis? What what you what's what are what's your best guess at the moment? Well, I I have a dilemma, and this dilemma is very real. It's not a it's not a hypothetical dilemma. It's very real for the city of Boulder right now. Jeff and I were discussing this just earlier. I've been involved in uh, organizing a climate mobile a community mobilization action plan around. Uh, the city of Boulder that has declared a climate emergency. But one of the guiding mm -hmm. pillars to this action plan is to make sure to take leadership from marginalized communities in Boulder, communities of color. 
which in Boulder, one will, you know, we have to come out and say Boulder is one of the most affluent white, white, um, very privileged. They will. I would even say neoliberal supremacist in some way, because we live in this little bubble. Um, and we have not, and as a, as a community, as a city, as a small metropolitan metropolis have not taken the time to, to weave these principles of equity, both class equity and race equity and gender equity into the way our organism works. And it's taking a moment. Um, and, and the communities of color that are, that are invited in are saying, Hey, you guys really have no idea what you're doing. Um, and this is going to take a moment. And as we take this moment, the sense of urgency that I'm feeling about the species that might become extinct because climate chaos is upon us is, um, is, is very real at the same time. And I, I think it was a friend of, I think it's Paul, a friend of Jeff's, who's, who wrote, um, don't just do something, stand there, which I thought was, was, is great advice sometimes, but at the same time, I can't help but, you know, notice the forest fires, so to speak. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I think the dilemma you're talking about is if, uh, I mean, so 350 and, you know, a lot of the climate organizations have, you know, they talk about a fast and just transition, right? <laughs> a fast and just transition from a fossil fuel extractive economy to a, a more egalitarian uh, renewables based economy, right? And it's like fast and just. And yeah. that's sometimes they pull at each other in different directions, right? Because <laughs> justice like, takes time. You need it to be fast. We're already way, way behind schedule. Um We've already missed, you know, many windows by which to make this uh, less, uh, you know, less rocky of a transition. Everyone needs this to be fast, right? Everyone, whatever color you are, it, need, it needs this to be fast. And it also needs to be fast and just it's time, um, you know, to get it right and to coordinate and to go through proper political processes and different communities move in, in different speeds and according to different cultural clocks, this kind of stuff, right? So... There's a dilemma is baked into, or attention is baked into the uh, requirements of the moment, right? The transition needs to be just and needs to be fast. Um, so I think um, the idea is not to be is not to be paralyzed by waiting for leadership from elsewhere, but to be as leaderful as. I mean, this is like you know again the rubber meets the road is when you sort of like, what does that look like in practice when you're actually trying to do it? But the notion is to be as leaderful as possible. Everyone should be leaders, right? You shouldn't forego your leadership uh, vision or energy or um, wisdom, right? You've got to lean into that. Um, and, but you want to cultivate leadership, encourage leadership, find ways to be in collaborative leadership with people who are not like you, people who are on the front lines of the impacts, right? People who, you know, the, 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 that, the basic principle is people who are most impacted are also sort of most well positioned, most knowledgeable, have most at stake to craft uh, the right solutions, right? That's sort of the, the, the idea there, right? The central idea. Um, so, but I don't think anyone wants you to just to sit around and be paralyzed and not make a move and not bring your best self 
uh, into the fight, right? Um, so that's just a general principle, general sort of attitude. Uh, and, and how does that, is that running round in the specific work you're doing? Um, is it possible to move and move with others as opposed to wait for folks to move or, or, um, I don't know, just you're the one on the ground there. I'm just laying out some of the, the basic frameworks that it's relevant. Um, uh, and I always think of like fail forward, fail fast, you know, like, yeah. uh, as they say, which is sort of like take an iterative approach, right? Like mm -hmm. make the moves you can make. They're going to be and correct as you get feedback and correct as, as, as you learn more and correct as people who maybe have been silenced or have remained silenced or, or have found their voice yet kind of chime in and, 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 and then correct, but don't sit around and try to make it perfect. Uh, yeah. You know, and then the whole community would be up in flames by then, you know? So move. And I think people like to move when there's, you know, that people, people are inspired by other people moving, right? So long as they don't do it in completely clueless kind of, you know, counterproductive kind of ways, you know? But you've had a, you, Mika, I would trust yourself more. That's my, I, I'm just, that's my advice, but it also might be just my, my bias. I would trust yourself more. Like you, ha you have good, you have a lot of experience in different settings. You've steered a whole organization. You led a whole, you learned how to, how to lead, you know, lead cooperatively. You started uh, an organization and you, and you brought in, in, in Jerusalem, right? Um, you were the head of that. You were the, the white person, the Jew, whatever, worked <laughs> in the Palestinian context right and you collaborated well with your palestinian comrades and eventually in a systematic and thoughtful and collaborative way i mean right you have a good model you should feel proud of that you should trust yourself <laughs> you should trust yourself that you can do this you've done it before in a different context but um in a very tricky context and you're in another tricky context and you've got to trust yourself um and i i don't know that's, uh, <laughs> I appreciate I, that, Andrew. I, the heartfelt yeah. <clears throat> um, vote of confidence. I, I, I think a lot of what I've learned um, both in Jerusalem and bring to practice here, uh, especially as a white cis straight man, is to, is to know when to, you know, when to sit down, when to pass the microphone, when to be yeah. patient and wait. Yeah. Yeah. I, do you know Adrienne Brown's work? You know uh, her? Emergent strategy. Yes. Emergent strategies. Um, yeah. Pleasure activism. And she calls herself an, an organizational healer. That's one of her sort of identities. Anyway, I interviewed her for the book I'm writing on climate. Um, any case, and colleague from the direct action uh, rock society uh, days and all that. But um, she has a beautiful principle. Well, she, uh, it's not her, she didn't originate it, but, you know, she's a very collector, curator of, of principles and strategies. And so one of his is moving at the speed of trust. Mm. And that's not, it doesn't mean trust of yourself as much as trust among, within a community, trust, uh, you know, within a coalition. Yeah. Um, so moving at the speed of trust. Um, so that, you know, that might be slower than we want and possibly slower than we need. 
Um, but it might be the only speed we can move at if 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 building reliable community, right, um, is an absolutely essential aspect of weathering this storm that's coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and the point that I think was made to me either by her or by my, one of my other colleagues was that sometimes if you move at the speed of trust, you get into a situation where there's enough trust that you can move way faster than you could move if you didn't have trust. So in a sense, moving yeah. at the speed of trust when you're talking about organizing and community building is actually moving really fast. Once you build that trust and then you don't have to kind of hash out bylaws and hash out, you know, kind of, distrustful coalition partners, you actually have these relationships that are, uh, that are very strong and clear and, uh, robust and trusting. And you can kind of make a few calls and, you know, people are moving in, you know, moving well together fast and with a lot of muscle. Anyway, that's sort of, I'm just, you're the one on the ground here having to deal with the nuts and bolts, but I'm just, I've been talking to people and collecting you know, frameworks. And these are some seem like some of useful frameworks. Oh, I find it very, I, it's very useful. I know that I'm on the ground, but we're all on the ground here. And I, and, and <clears throat> using myself maybe as an example, just to be, to put my cards on the table, I don't think that what I'm facing is entirely original at all. I think it's quite common. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a common confusion right now amongst, amongst white guys who are involved in social or political movements who may be a little confused. It's not the nineties anymore. Um, it's, it's no longer, I think it's clearly inappropriate. At least it was for me in Jerusalem to be, it, it was inappropriate for me to be the director of a Palestinian human rights organization. It's it, that's, that is not my role to play. My role there is to, is to step back. Um, and in many, in many cases, as we learn to take leadership and that's, 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 I think, one of the points that we're learning to do together. It's to, it's, it's to lead by taking leadership. It's to lead by stepping back. It's the stepping forward by stepping back kind of motion that I don't know that our fathers knew to teach us. I think that's a new skill. Well, I want to jump in because, Andrew, I was reading some of what you shared Um and I appreciate you seem to have your finger on the pulse of paradox and the necessity of paradox, because for you to say, Mika, it was inappropriate for you to lead that Palestinian human rights organization. Well, sure, in hindsight, but to Andrew, your point earlier, let's get the ship in the water and course correct. You did some good shit, right? So it doesn't feel inappropriate to me. It feels like right on. You were doing some shit in the world and you've course corrected several times, as have we all. So. Yeah. Yeah, it may not have been appropriate, but you didn't know that. And maybe, <laughs> right. well, maybe a lot of people didn't know that. In fact, some of your Palestinian colleagues may not even have known that at some level or or whatever. But you took the leadership, you founded the organization, you got that million dollar grant um, from uh, the EU, and you um, gracefully, as gracefully as these things can probably go, uh, handed the reins over time to your colleagues. I mean... Yep. I, I think you want to look at this as a glass half full here. Um, not like berate yourself retroactively for, you know, not realizing <laughs> what know, a you dick you were, Mika, <laughs> starting that human rights organization. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> you idiot. How can you such a thing? No, no, no. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah. 
anyway, and I don't think you stepped in with like total white dude cluelessness. You stepped in with wisdom and partial cluelessness, you know, and you had some of that cluelessness beaten out of you along the way. And that's, uh, that's okay. And, um, yeah, anyway, um, enough about Mika and his awesome. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> I'm sure this podcast is full of them. You know, all previous episodes have covered that. Well, I'm sure. Um, um, yeah. So what, speaking of paradox, um, Jeff, I think we, there's a couple fast and just was a paradox or at least a tension, yeah, right? a dynamic tension. tension for sure. Um, uh, we're all, we're all in this together. Not, not. that's, that's a, that's a paradox. Um, yeah. And, um, uh, how to be, you know, well, I guess what Mika's driving at is in a sense, it's a paradox though, you know, it's more of a, you know, an art form, which is leading from behind, right? It's not exactly how we, we think of it, but it's like, you're, we always think of leaders as out front and being the voice and having the megaphone and, and everyone rallying behind them. And they sort of run something up the flagpole and everyone kind of like, yes, that's the best idea. Yeah. Uh, let's, you know, follow me. Right? Yep. Standard uh, model of leadership. Um, and then there's this other more patient, more, um, you know, egalitarian, more humble, uh, more um, embedded, if you will, uh, leadership that we call, which was often referred to and by many names, but often by, um, you know, bottom up or lead from behind or whatever. And that's kind of, it's not a paradox exactly, but it's, a, it's certainly a, a, a difficult art and, and there's, there's the energy of it. You know, you have all this energy, you have all this leadership energy and it's a really different kind of expression of that energy. Right. Um, and I think some people's characters are better for the f- leading from the front and other people's characters are better for leading from behind. Yeah. And you, know, you could almost argue that it's a, there's a bit of a gender or at least a traditional gender alignment around that, that, you know, we think more classically of the sort of how f- women are enculturated, that they're, they end up being better or more likely leaders from behind where the men enculturation leads them to be leaders from front. So it's particularly difficult maybe for men to unlearn things, um, you know, uh, in order to lead from behind, you know, that we have to unlearn. uh, Well, it's more like, what do we have to learn? We have to learn patience, right? We have to learn cooperation and we have to learn humility and we have to learn um, stepping outside of our own point of view to hear other points, you know, to really actually recognize and reckon and, elevate and empower other points of view that may be alien to us, you know, or, or, you know, just very surprising or, or never on our radar before or whatever. And, um, so there's a lot of rechanneling of impulses, right. To grab the mic, to jump to the front of the rally, whatever. But it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's possibly a much more effective form of leadership. It's just, there's a retraining and a, and a, I don't know, just, you know, just talking, just thinking this through in real, in real time here, you know, mm-hmm. as, as the questions are coming up. Um, I, I want to go back to the thing th- that you offered to us, which is being a mensch with an edge because oh, it, yeah. it feels really woven into this. And I had to ask Mika, what, did, what is a mensch exactly? And he said, a good guy basically. Um, but a good guy with an edge, because there is that difference uh, as men. I think we often end up either in the collapsed category or the posturing category. You know, you mentioned mm. some version of the sensitive ponytail man who doesn't actually yeah. know where his balls are on his body. Uh, I'm <laughs> paraphrasing. Ponytail. I like that. The edge is also the ponytail guy who knows where his balls are. That's a, that's a perfect, <laughs> that's a, 
That's the hippie version. You got the Jewish version, and then you got the hippie Great. version. Yeah. That's yeah. why Katie's not letting you tie a ponytail. That's right. It's it's too close to home or something. Um, <clears throat> but our capacity to do what you're talking about, which is a super humbling process in my experience thus far, which is to shut the hell up, uh, listen well, actually be curious and ask questions and outside of myself, and then also f- actually step into places where I can... Yeah impact and affect change in potentially quite useful ways. Um, th- this yes. all feels related to me. Yes. And our, you know, our allies want us to do that, right? Mm-hmm. They want us to do both, right? right. They don't only want us to, you know, there may be moments in a movement or moments in an individual organizer's development where they just want to, who, you know, have his circle privilege to fuck up and sit in the corner and, you know, go get the coffee and, and kind of, you know, um, edit the press release or whatever, you know what I mean? And, not, and, and, but then there's most, you know, mostly it's bring your best, you know, bring your humble self and bring your powerful self, you know, yeah, yeah. both. Um, and be, but be, but be cognizant of, of, of sort of the impact radius of your power, you know, of how you're bringing your, power. Yeah, what's the blast range. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. but, um, yeah. So, yeah. So, a mensch, just because it's a great term, right? And it is a great Mika term. probably has a lot of uh, more cultural understanding of its origins and, and, and resonances. And stuff. But as I understand it, I mean, first of all, it's the word for man. Yiddish and German are very close. And so the Yiddish has a very particular inflection to that word, which is, as you say, a good man, but also a reliable man, a stand-up guy, um, a person who shows up, a person who's there for you, a person who gets your back. Um, and then there's, I think, a particular additional, maybe special inflection, which is a person, a man who's good to his mother, right? Which is a very, you know, <laughs> Jewish kind of thing. And that's a particular flavor to it. Mm-hmm. But that's just a particular flavor. The broader flavor is this, um, you know, reliable, responsible, stand-up kind of guy. And that can be both, like, um, you know, just shows up when you need to move or like knows how to say the right thing at the right moment, or if you're going, you know, doesn't walk away from trouble, but walks towards trouble, you know, Um, uh, when there's trouble in his community, he's, he's going to engage and not uh, retreat. Um, And so then, so that I guess, yeah. So this phrase, I didn't come up with mensch with an edge that came from um, an ex girlfriend, um, Uh, a very strong organizer, one of the more amazing organizers I know, a Jewish Jewish woman. Her name is Janice Fine, um, and I was sort of this 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 book that uh, I sent you pieces of. Um, sometimes I, you know, the, the working title is Enlightened Machismo. You want to talk about paradoxes? There's 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 one front and center. And um, yeah. you know, I was talking to her. It wrote, started writing it a long time ago, so this was like, and then abandoned it for many many years, and hope to pick it back up after this climate book is done. In any case. She, when I was talking to her about it or reading little excerpts of it, she was like, yes, a mensch with an edge. That's what every woman is looking for. Now, that's like saying a lot. Every woman, that's, there's four billion of us on, you know, four billion women on the planet. In any case, she meant, you know, like a lot of women she knows and has conversations with about, about romance or about why they can't find a good boyfriend or troubles with their husbands or whatever. It's like, yes, a mensch, someone who's responsible, but also has game, also brings sort of like is a little wild, has some adventure, um, you know, will sort of surprise, um, knows where their balls are, you know, sort of <laughs> isn't, is going to stand up for themselves, right? Isn't going to yeah. only accommodate, isn't only going to pass the mic, you know, if you want to extend it to the organizer, right? Mm. Isn't 
best, like knows what they want, knows is representing a constituency is, you know, will be, you know, keeping good faith with that constituency. You know, they're 90% of the people in Boulder are white. They need to have a voice in whatever these decisions are. Hello. You know, <laughs> and Bill is not afraid um, to represent that community, you know, again, and then the mensch part comes in with sort of responsibility and sensitivity and understanding and, and a sense of, uh, Raising the whole, you know, that the the in the end, it's the community as a whole that should be foremost, foremost, right? Um, but don't shy away from your truth and shy away from your the truth of you know whatever your milieu is that you identify with and feel you know needs to have a voice at the table, right? Anyway, uh, I could blab on, and I'm going to shut up now. No, this is good. <laughs> this is it. Feels like shar- sharpening our concept of the better bozo. Essentially, diving deep into let's 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 unpack that and see what it means. And I and I, <clears throat> I love your description of this mensch with an edge. The edge is important. Just being a do-gooder is um, not as helpful. It's not as manly. It's not as it's not the it's not the embodiment that we're that we're looking for. Well, it feels like one that's in a right. million that actually would be genuine, like a Buddha or a saint. It's, that's not us being good for the sake of being good. The um, altruism is not necessarily realistic for us humans. Right. And it, it's also not maybe what the movement needs. Like I, it, yeah. I'm just, you guys are making me see a possible, um, you know, maybe could poke holes in it, but a possible parallel between like the two, these two polarities, right. Holding and balancing and integrating these two polarities, right. Of being good and being, whatever you want to call it, edgy or, you know, wild or, you know, embodied, empowered, you know, whatever, sort of those two elements and sort of like as an, in that kind of famous um, or oft referenced quote from the Aboriginal, Australian Aboriginal artist woman whose name I'm forgetting because Angela, (laughs) Angela, I'm going to, I'll be, yeah, please. Seven year old brain. And it's forgets. I call this my proper, proper noun server is crap. But uh, Nika will, will look up her name so she's properly uh, credited. But the, the quote is basically, you know, um, you guys know it by heart, I'm sure. And, um, you know, if do not, you basically do not show up and say, how can I help? You know, show up and say, my liberation is bound up with yours. Let's do this. You know, and I'm, I'm totally paraphrasing here. That's not her. Exactly, it's a great paraphrase. <laughs> I, I, I have it right here. Her name is Leela okay. Watson. She's an <laughs> Aboriginal um, Australian uh, activist, and she says, "If you have come here to help me, you are wasting your time. But you, if you have come because your liberation is bound up with mine, then let us work together." Then what? What was the closer? Then, then let us work together. Yes, let us work together. Um, I like yours. Right, or let's do this. Right <laughs> let's get hey, to let's work. Let's yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so that feels like. The person, who, the first person who shows up, right? Um, how can I help? Is that the is that the is that the phrase? Right, mm-hmm. right. What is? Yep, is sort of the mensch, but without the edge, maybe you know, or is, <laughs> right. it, at least is, is the guy who doesn't know where his balls are, or doesn't know where his voice is, or doesn't know what community he's representing, or doesn't know how he is going to lead. You know, yeah. in he, we're talking he, yeah. And then the second person who shows up is both. Um, you know, considering the whole and wants to be a good ally, but also comes with their own, you know, their own, um, um, whatever, their own 
you know, erotic force, you know, their own, their own sort of, you know, uh, knowing themselves and knowing, having their own strong ideas and being willing to have them course corrected, as we say, but sort of bringing, bringing their full self to it, you know, um, and recognizing how, what they have at stake, right. And what they have, what what skin they have in the game. Well, yeah. and, And a few terms come up like right size, uh, right place, uh, right relationship and initiation comes up for me too because being a man in the world doesn't really mean shit these days it, it's a it's a mixed bag and if you put your hand in it you're likely gonna pick up some shit or get poked by some things or groped um, and an initiated man in my world like in the uh, vision fast work or uh, school of lost borders Stephen Foster Meredith Little or Bill Plotkin's soulcraft work uh, we're, we've, we've moved, we've developed uh, uh, through our adolescence and we're actually initiated into the world, initiated adults to go a little more general. Mm-hmm. So it feels like Minch with an edge is an initiated man who knows his worth and his value, knows when to shut up, yeah. knows when to ask questions, and also knows what he knows and knows what he doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, yeah. <laughs> has the I like this neat phrase from Nietzsche which is to have the um, um, what is the expression to have the something of your own convictions to have the oh my god my brain is just losing <laughs> losing the, um, anyway to have faith in your convictions but also to have faith in that your convictions might be wrong also you know just to be sort of open to that in an ultimate way but yet to kind of you know yeah you know, I, I like that. I think what I'm what I'm hearing here from the three of us essentially boiling down to if this episode is to be used in any way for uh, for <clears throat> any of the guys that are listening uh, as helpful hints towards becoming uh, a mensch with an edge or a better bozo, it's to take the time for a second and ground, learn about my own heritage, uh, uh, feel a little more confident about where I'm coming from as opposed to just showing up to be the good guy um, without, you know, which feels a little bit young, a way, you know, to gain experience, to sit down and, 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 and grow some roots there or realize where my roots are at. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, wanna... I found a neat quote. I did a little. Um, oh, I did internet. too. Yeah. Oh, you did? Did you? Is it? Oh, yeah. It's is it have... a very popular error? Is that the yeah, one? Yeah, go for it. You read it. Yeah, All yeah, right, yeah. from Nietzsche. Nietzsche, Nietzsche, however the hell you say his name. A very popular error, having the courage of one's convictions. Rather, it is a matter of having the courage for an attack on one's convictions. That's interesting. You know, that's very Nietzsche, right? <laughs> yeah. uh, overthrowing of your values and the overcoming of the self and yeah. the transfiguration of yourself into a, into a higher self and all that stuff. So, um, uh-huh. yeah, but it's an interesting thing to throw into the mix here. Um, yeah, it points to resilience for me, like mm-hmm. how we develop more resilience uh, internally, which I think then translates culturally. We'll go ba- going back to like, oh, well, you didn't get the insurance, so I'm going to let your house burn down. You know, if I'm resilient, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the fire out and then put your fire out too because I'm, <laughs> hmm. I'm not just That's a selfish right. prick. That's a collective, yeah, collective resilience, you know, and then there's also, I guess, <laughs> individual resilience of character or, or constitution or what have you. But yes, yeah. right. That's like understanding, you know, uh, we may not, uh, what's the expression? We, we may have all come over in the same boat, but if we don't learn to sail in the same flotilla, we're done for, you know, like we're all in this together. Um, you know, 
not. Not. Yes. <laughs> not. That's a, a, we're just going to put that as a as a as an asterisk footnote for, to yeah. make the point about the burning houses next to each other and letting them go. Yeah. yeah. Mika, sorry. Yeah, I'm reading a paragraph. I'd like to read a, a, just a short um, paragraph that you wrote. Oh God. Out of our brave new uh, intersectional hairball of justice. Okay. About you, 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 you launch us into you know when shit hits the fan. Not quite clear on what to do, but maybe just to name what not to do. Oh yeah. Um, do I make do I, is this the pair? I, I make a list of things. Yeah. <clears throat> My first impulse to go around telling everyone how bad the bad news is because it's got to be news to them too, right? Right. I might Please. want to check <laughs> that. Please make sure you're reading this in an ironic voice. <laughs> the audience here is very clear. Go on. Right. And, and then if my second impulse is to tell everyone what to do about it, because they can't possibly have been doing anything about it because I just found out about it. Well, I might want to consider that just because I was the hero of the story for hundreds of years while mom baked cookies and now, oh my God, the apocalypse is here. Doesn't mean this is news to everyone else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So in many yeah. ways, we're kind of new to the scene. We're fresh to the scene. We're like, oh my God, this is what's happening. You guys right. have had it really bad all these years. Wow. Right. right. The world's on fire. And they're like, yeah, the world's been on fire for 500 years. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. You know, Just- we haven't been helping us. We've been putting out those fires as best we can. Uh, yeah. And you know, and, and also not putting them, not able to put them out. And, um, you know, you, you weren't there. <laughs> yeah. So don't roll into our neighborhood with your solutions, you know, thinking you, you've got the full picture here, um, you know, kind of thing. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I try to use the humor, try to use the humor and try to acknowledge, you know, try to dig at some truth um, and acknowledge my own, you know, uh, Transition from cluelessness to less cluelessness, you know, mm. um, you know, cor- uh, how I've course corrected throughout my life and throughout my sort of organizing career and learning along the way. But like, you know, trying to use that. It's easier to talk about these things when you use the I voice and it's tricky to do the humor and you got to be clear. It has to be, you know, you have to make the writing work so that people are reading it and, oh, it's being read now. This is now in an ironic register. Oh, and then this is. <laughs> seriously <laughs> and in, even in that paragraph there's a transition right from this ironic voice right yeah. to the maybe i you know if my first impulse is da, 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 you know uh but maybe i should da, 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 you know anyway i want to read yeah i want to read another line that's from the same piece <clears throat> so if i'm expecting everyone to stop what they're doing and listen up i might want to brace myself for some folks to go quote um thanks for your concern but the apocalypse already happened a while ago and you missed it uh, and you're really <laughs> you kind there it, because I, I want to put comma asshole at the end of that <laughs> to myself, right. you know, like, Oh, <laughs> what? I missed it. Yeah. I'm here to help. Yeah. So just right. to put a shout out to this book, I know you've been toiling over for a while. <clears throat> what, why do you want a different apocalypse? A better, a better, I want a, a better, better catastrophe. catastrophe, right? <laughs> 
uh, yeah, the w- words can be used interchangeably, and there's a whole piece on like what word to use. You know, mm. climate change, global warming, apocalypse, catastrophe, chaos. And I, you know, yeah. on, uh, climate emergency, uh, which is sort of uh, is the is the term that I think we should be using it more than more than not. But in any case, why would we want a better catastrophe? Okay, the basic premise is we're going to get it because we because of what have we done to the planet, because of our uh, inability to recognize the problem uh, and act upon it. Uh, early enough in the, uh, you know, in the process, we are locked in for some kind of catastrophe, right? Some kind of, you know, mass extinction, some kind of civilizational unraveling, some kind of, you know, beyond a, th- a threshold of of that it's going to take a lot to claw our way back from a sort of compromising of our, you know, ecological uh, the ecology of the planet that we you know, rely on for sustaining human civilization. We've sort of crossed some red lines um, or we're, you know, we're soon to cross some red lines and we're locked in for crossing some red lines. So we're going to get a catastrophe. So then the question is, so the question is, well, what now? And it's like, okay, so let's try to get the best catastrophe we can. Right. Mm. And that's like, it's both like a, there's a bit of humor in there, a really dark humor, but it's actually a very pragmatic, there's a sort of notion I'm trying to work on in the book called the tragic optimist and the can-do pessimist, you know, that we don't really have the option here, at least not in good faith, to be the optimist optimist, you know? We're not yeah, like at the right. sort of rising cusp of the industrial industrial era where we can kind of rechannel all of that extraordinary productive explosion of, of productivity to serve, you know, um, to serve all and to serve good and to serve to raise all boats in a in a in a um, in a humane um, across the board way, right? We're not at that place anymore, right? Yeah, there isn't yeah. like the op- <laughs> there isn't like a game plan for that would justify optimism, optimism, right? There just mm. isn't. Um, we're locked in for some really bad shit, and so um, a lot of people at that point don't know any other mode to operate in, and they sort of just they either go, they either have a, a hyper optimism mode or what we call hopium. Right, opium, like <laughs> opium, opium. Um, mainline that shit. Uh, you know, or just sort of like you know, just a kind of youthful enthusiasm for you know, uh, whatever, and then and then a sort of crushing. When that's crushed, then you sort of fall back to hopelessness, right? And those are sort of two very well-known modes, and they 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 current activists get them all sort of get get ourselves worked up into hot and bother and see. Uh, you know, see a beautiful vision and and kind of head for it and ha- believe it's true. And sort of by believing it's true, other people believe it's true. And then it becomes possible, right? Like that sort of uh, self, yeah. that, that virtuous circle. And then there's like, oh, when that crashes and burns, we sort of only have hopelessness to fall back. So what's the middle path there? What are various middle paths? And one of them is, uh, you know, is a maybe a tr- what I call a tragic optimism, which is sort of... Uh, Going for the gold, but knowing you're not going to get there. But by going for the gold, you're going to get as close to there as you as you can, right? And that's a kind of fast fail forward, fail fast, whatever. But but it's more like, yes, let's go for the green new deal, even though actually it's too late to really implement it. And Congress, yep. you know, the Senate is going to block it, and the Supreme Court's going to declare some of it in constitution. Whatever, whatever the all is going to happen, we still need to go for it because we need that grand vision, and we need to get people behind it, and we need to for them to sort of see who the enemies are when, when it's, when it's um, undermined, et cetera. Right. So there's a sort of tragic optimism. And then there's the can do pessimism, which is um, a more, 
um, we can't really achieve these grand things. Um, but I, and I, and I am sort of naturally a bit conservative in my, in my visions, right. But I am going to put one foot in front of the other and, um, do the best I can. And maybe, um, by making some progress, we create a sort of situation in which more progress is possible, right? Like, or, or something like that. It's a, it's more of a it's course correcting um, like you talked about earlier. It, yeah, I guess they both sort of have, have some of that in there. Um, anyway, so it's, but it's sort of like, don't, it's avoiding the hyper optimism versus total hopelessness uh, binary, which yeah. a lot of uh, people approach mm. climate crisis and also approach, I think the, the, what do you want to call it? The energetics of organizing and activism is often falls along those two, two lines as well. Right. All or nothing. Yeah. Like 18 hour a day work weeks and kind of make it happen and drive, you know, eyes on the prize, all eyes on the prize. And then sort of, uh, hopes crushed. Yeah. Burnout, hopelessness, you know, those kind of things. So what are some of these middle paths? Um, so anyway, that's, uh, that, that's, so, so the ocean notion is of the, um, we're going to get a catastrophe. Let's set our sights on a better catastrophe. It's not how we normally operate. It's not how we normally think. It's not how we normally, you can't whip up. It's hard to whip, imagine whipping up a crowd just to take a concrete example around a better catastrophe. That's not, there are no presidential. We are going to get the best catastrophe. <laughs> yeah. That um, does seem tough. So it's like, I have a joke. Uh, in fact, I did this at, at, a, at, a, at an event in England um, of climate activists or climate concerned people, which was, you know, like a, basically a fake chant, which was, what do we want? You know, a better catastrophe. Mm. <laughs> and everyone kind of repeats this back, you know, when do we want it? As late in the century as possible. <laughs> <laughs> that only works ironically, right? You take that into, your, into yourself in a, in a full-throated way, right? And so, you, yeah. anyway, but that's sort of a, a kind of, joke slash reality check that I try to weave through the book um, from lots of different angles. And, and how do we, how do we come to terms with that? What are, what are the uh, strategies like political strategies, but also um, uh, spiritual or philosophical containers for that, right? Um, Drawing upon Eastern and Western sort of thought and indigenous, um, you know, philosophies. Um, or life ways, um, sort of like trying to curate all of that stuff to sort of imagine, give our, create a repertoire of ways uh, to move into the darkness where we keep our eyes, still keep our eyes on the prize, still maintain our humanity, um, still get as good as, re, you know, as, as good outcomes as we can. Um, um, <laughs> Andrew. And without, without bullshitting ourselves, without operating in bad faith, without telling people yeah. or ourselves lies that can no longer be supported by the, by the facts. Yeah. Where do you, where do you land in terms of uh, organizations out there that, that might align with you more closely? Cause I know Jim Bendel, his writings, right. uh, he, he, he was pretty alarmist. He's like, yeah, I yeah. had climate scientists from the militaries of other countries reach out to me. And now I started doing yoga and I got a girlfriend and I'm done with this. I mean, he's basically said, uh, yeah, I'm out of the game. And then there's Dark Mountain. Then there's Extinction Rebellion. And I'm curious of these, what, yeah, and more that maybe I'm obviously not speaking to that that might line up with you, and you might be inspired by. Yeah, yeah. No, these are all these are very good questions, and you've you've covered a quite a swath of the spectrum there. Um, uh, yeah. So, 
I'll just say, I'll just preface it by saying this in the book and the feeling like, and I guess this is an, in some ways an extension of the book. I'm the ambassador of the book right now in a way. And sort of my, my, what I felt was a valuable thing to offer is the, is the repertoire, right? Mm. Is the range of things. Like people don't want to go anywhere near any of this, right? Yeah. And so by using humor and personal storytelling and a kind of a menu kind of approach, right? I felt that that, uh, was the best service I could provide to people. Instead of a fire hose, you give them a menu. <laughs> yeah, or instead of like my way, you know, I've crunched the numbers. I have a particular, you know, here's how we can get the best results. Here's the only way right. uh, that our hearts can align with the reality, right? This is the way to go, right? right. Boom. That's gotta it. be deep adaptation, right? Or it's gotta be, look, we just gotta get right. everything behind a Green New Deal and hope for the best, you know? I don't say any one of those things. I, I feel like the best thing I can do is provide a, a repertoire of paths forward. And because people are different, people have come from different traditions, people have different energetics and character. Um, and so I sort of, I describe myself stumbling through a, a lot of this, this space and, you know, as an activist and, and also as a brokenhearted person, you know, reading the news and reading the science reports. Um, and then, uh, sort of showcase uh, a lot of the sensibilities and movements uh, that you've suggested and the, and the sort of spiritual containers or, or paths that uh, allow you to, you know, uh, be honest and humane and effective, even in the, in the, um, even in, as we sort of, as things unravel, right? So that's sort of the, the job of the book. So mm. I'll, I'll, I'll get back to your question. I will say one uh, metaphor that has been very that I came across this summer, last summer, that's been very helpful to me is, um, you know, we generally think of the heroic, the, the heroic sort of revolutionary as sort of storming the heavens, right? That's a sort of you know, metaphor, um, I think, from the Chinese Revolution, but it sort of you know applies, right? Um, but we're in a different situation, right? Um, this isn't sort of late nineteenth century, early twentieth century sort of revolutionary. A period where we're taming capitalism and building a, a beautiful socialist utopia uh, with all of these unleashed places where things are collapsing. That is the, the metaphor for an engaged, like a, a sort of wise collapse, a, a sort of very focused, wise, strategic collapse. And the, the metaphor that came to, that, that people shared with me uh, came from a conference called Navigating uh, the Great Unraveling, uh, a gathering of people, both the social justice wing of things and the ecological wing of things. And their metaphor is um, we're, we're in a raft. Uh, we're going down a rapids. Uh, it's, you know, there's a lot of white water. It's, it's riptiding us, you know, one way or another, uh, possibly crashing us against these shoals. But are, there are, and most of this is out of our control, right? Like um, ecological systems are failing. We've sort of maxed out on our on critical resources, et cetera. You know, like there's all this infrastructure that's locked in, whatever. We're being pulled down this rapids. We're being pulled this way and and another, but there are places where we can get our paddle in and course correct slightly, you know, and avoid the worst. Yep. And then we're off to another on another sort of um, patch of this of this of, of the of the turning water. And but there are places we can get an oar in. Anyway, that's one metaphor that I think is sort of helpful to people that are either persisting in the hopium or completely checking out. No, there is an active, engaged, effective way of taking leadership, but if this, it's within this metaphor, it's within this framework, um, you know, uh, within this, we're in a, we're in a, we're not good at decline. We have, we're good at, we're good at 
progress, right? That's sort of, we're wired for that. We grew up expecting that. Um, both left-wing ideology tells us that as well as broad, you know, America, American ideology sort of like teaches us how to progress. But we, we are having to engineer, um, navigate a decline and we need to be really good, learn to be really good at navigating it. Anyway, that's just sort of broad framework. So I, I know about Jem Bendel and deep adaptation. He expects a near-term social collapse. Um, and so like five to you know, seven years, that, I think I, yeah, that sounds, I mean, and if Australia is our future, you know, yeah. Right. Um, and if the dead patches in the ocean are our future, well, then he's, you know, very possibly right. Um, so, um, and then the dark mountain folks see a more, you know, sort of gradual, um, uh, unraveling, right. That's their sort of broad, uh, you know, if you had to describe it in a few words, it's a broad on un- a broad unraveling and, yeah. um, they're not, they're not the kind to put, you know, numbers on things, right. Jim Bendel is more of an analyst, you know, they're more, the dark yeah. mountain folks are more of storytellers and artists and, uh, soul, you know, Argonauts of the soul and, you know, mythic of the mythos and, um, how to live in community differently and, you know, how to rewire yeah. the, the cultural, the, the, we, you know, if you think of stories the way Paul Kingsnorth does as the sort of cultural software of our civilization, right. As the, that they need, we need to do code patches, you know, yeah. and re, re, rewire and do a, a reboot, uh, our operating system, et cetera. Anyway, so, uh, um, I have published with them and like some of, you know, I don't read their blog every day or anything like that, but um, Paul Kingsnorth feels like he is a someone who is trying to look what he calls, what he refers to as I'm willing to look down. I'm willing to look down at the, the, the at the sort of roots and the, you know, the dark roots of our civilization and where it's taking us, you know, I'm willing to do that. And, and he is committed, I think, to speaking the truth as he sees it. And, and a lot of people aren't, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a sort of uh, really refreshing, if heartbreaking, um, uh, experience you can have from reading him. So that, yeah. that I appreciate that. Um, in terms of Extinction Rebellion, they're trying, it's almost like, in a way, it's, it's sort of, carrying in, in a way and not completely it's, it's sort of carrying the dark mountain truth-telling into mass action you know into mass direct action yeah um and so and they're calling you know for climate emergency you know for people to declare climate emergencies and make the, you know they're actually asking governments to do what's needed right <laughs> which is you know at least you know what's needed was to start this 30 years ago but what's needed is like a you know and a, an immediate transition into, yeah. to, you know, to, from, to hundred percent, uh, uh, you know, renewables. Um, but that's, you know, they, I think they know that that is an, they're asking for the impossible. Right. Right. <laughs> but they're, but they're, but they're, but they're in a, you know, they're in motion. They're like locking, they're shutting down London. They're, yeah all these interruptions of, of British parliament and, you know, gluing themselves uh, to doors of Congress. Like, right. sort of, so there's a way in which they are grappling and their tactics follow from the impossibility of our situation. And so it's a very almost uh, existential or artistic or mythic or um, the, the, the pragmatics of politics do not matter to them the way they may matter to some other groups like Sunrise or 350 or whatever, who are trying to plot out how yeah. to get sort of, you know, 
um, to, uh, you know, to pressure decision makers, um, understand decision makers and pressure them to do it. And, and Extinction Rebellion is just like a, a, gr- a cry of grief as, as radical action, you know, and it's like throwing themselves against the machine. And, you know, we don't need to, in a way, we don't need to, we don't need to, you need to solve this problem. You need to solve this problem. It, you know, it has to happen now and it has to be the, the it, it's more, you know, I don't know. It's like this ultimate absolute um, heart cry as opposed to a kind of like worked out political strategy. Exactly. And, and, and I think a lot of people relate to that because that, that sort of spe- that feels true to them, you know? And, and uh, I'll just say, like the 350, a friend of mine was a climate journalist was saying, look, we've got Bernie, we've got the Green New Deal, um, we have Sunrise. You know, why do we need, why do we need this Extinction Rebellion thing? You know, and I said, because Apollo is not going to win this fight alone. We need Dionysus in the fight, you know, and I think Extinction Rebellion brings a lot of this erotic, fierce, immediate, um, Dionysian sort of explosive, anyone, you know, bring, bring what you got you know, bring what you got. We'll take it kind of a kind of energy and let your freak flag fly and let your heart bleed in the streets. You know, I think they bring that and it appeals to a lot of people because it feels true. Um, as opposed to give me some bullshit political strategy. That's not, I know it's not going to work or some shit, you know, yeah. anyway, yeah. I'll, uh, there's just some thoughts. Uh, there's a lot of ramble in there. I'd love to edit that, uh, you know, go back in time and edit that. But <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, I appreciate that. And what I'm hearing more than anything is actually the, <clears throat> the illustration of the menu itself. That, that, that the call that I'm hearing you make is, it, it's not to something specific. <clears throat> it's not like, here, jo- vote this person or join this organization or donate to that cause. It's just fucking participate. You know, get up off the couch, participate. There's plenty to work with here. Find, yeah, find your way. There are many, here are many ways. Yep. There are many ways. Find your way. You know, um, there's a chapter, there's a chapter in the book called the, or the used, used to be, I think I changed the title, but, um, you know, the, the, uh, many fold path of climate liberation, you know, find your way. There's the way of the healer, yeah. the way of the warrior, you know, the way of, of the good neighbor. Um, you know, there's many, many ways find the one that's for you, you know, um, um, there's another piece in the book that's, um, called, um, uh, oh yeah, we have met the enemy and, and he is us. No, them, but also us, <laughs> but mostly them. You know? So it's like, you don't need to answer this question in any absolute way. It's, it's both. Yeah. There are things that we can do as an individual. And then there's like, there's a hundred companies that are responsible for, you know, 90% of the fossil fuels emitted in the last 40 years. And we need to sort of, you know, shut them down as fast as possible. And, you need to start eat, eating less animal products, and we need to examine how our everyday actions and all the ways that it's uh, embedded in maintaining this destructive system, um, you know, that yeah. we are born into. And there's no kind of island to go to where it's not where you're not um, where it's not operative, right? So it's both we need to transform ourselves and transform, um, you know, society uh, at pretty in pretty fundamental ways. And only then can we really live with a clean conscience, you know. Like there's no way to, to, to put hand anyway, I, I'm going off the rails here a little bit, but yeah. So it's, it's an invitation to the complexity. It's an invitation to um, acknowledging the reality and it's a prov- provision of a lot of tools. You, 
I think it's fancy to call them or it's popular to call them spiritual technologies or whatever. You know, it's sort of an offering, a repertoire, a toolbox of spiritual technologies that will allow you to step out of your isolation and fear and and find um, a ritual container or a, a story container, a metaphorical container, a strategic container that allows you to see, oh, this is how I can be, I can bring myself into this fight where before I checked out uh, for any number of these reasons, or I was in it in a way that was not sustainable or was mm-hmm. in it and felt like I was living a lie. So here's, a, here's some ways that you can be in good faith with yourself and still bring yourself, you know, and then, and still do some good. Mm-hmm. And, and not out of a place of, of charity or, or coming to just work for you, as we said about the, <clears throat> like the blind mensch, but because it's a, it's a, it's an it's a matter of collective liberation. We are all in this together kind of moment. And it's a very empowering personal, it sounds to me like a very empowering personal call to action. This isn't about all those other people. This is about you or me. Yeah. And it's about all of us together. And so we better learn and it's, it shouldn't be so complicated. Here's the menu plug into whatever's most inspiring. Yeah, it's yeah, 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 yeah. Jeff, you're. I can see you. I see three thoughts on your brain. <laughs> you're very perceptive, Andrew. Through the Zoom, yeah, that's, wave. that's impressive. <laughs> I, I agree with Mika. The, the the thing I hear you speaking to is empowerment, because there is no empowerment when we tell someone what to do. And the the problem, of course, is that we have to actually get up off our couch. And give a shit about something bigger than ourselves. That feels like one of the most challenging things, especially in this very deeply cult of the individual society where we're mostly taught and conditioned to cordon off ourselves from others, like in beautiful Boulder, surrounded by mountains and whiteness and, you know, money. Mm. Mm. That was one thought. I probably have two more, but I don't need to offer them right now. No, no, no. <laughs> well, Andrew, this feels like, if it's okay by you, the first conversation of many. I feel like there's much more still to unpack here and also to get down into practicalities. And there's a next book also still to discuss even further. Oh, gosh. Yeah, we can do that another time. I feel um, like we're just getting the tip of the melting iceberg. I had to get that in there. <laughs> <laughs> There's, yeah, uh, uh, I could send you, there's a piece from the book. Uh, it's, there's a, there's a section called the five stages of climate grief. Um, and then it, it sort of prefaced with, um, but there's more than five. You might have to walk backwards, you know, whatever, whatever. And the sixth stage is gallows humor. Okay. So, uh, and somewhere in all of this is I don't know if you came up with that just yourself right now, but there is somewhere in the book is the t- is this joke about the tip of the melting iceberg. And I imagine many, many people have made it, but it is sort yeah. of like, just like we laugh. It's interesting. We laugh and it just, it's just crushing I, I, at the same time. We laugh and cringe at the totally. same time. And it's, um, the a friend of mine says without, without gallows humor, all we have are gallows. Yeah. Well said. Shit. Right? Yeah, and that feels like such a very real struggle to keep speaking to, and I'm glad we're you're voicing it and we're talking about it. Um, because if we don't have humor and we don't have each other, then we really are pretty fucked. Um, I'm just going to build a bunker and get my spam, you know, yeah. and I'm going to get my water and my guns. 
which geez, booby traps. Booby traps, exactly. That sounds just awful. God. Yeah. Um, so there's right, and in this sort of presentation of sort of paths, if you will, there's a one called the way of the the way of the prepper, right? And it's like what you just described, and then there's the way of the good the good neighbor, you know, who has this sort of their little character sketches, a day in the inner life, right? Mm. A day in the inner life. And you hear a sort of like inner monologue of these, uh, of all these different people who have sort of different ways they're going to approach uh, whatever they think is, is, you know, this, this unraveling, however they understand it. And the, the guy who's the, the way of the good neighbor is like, um, you know, basically we can get through this together. All you have to do is give up your, your lonely, rugged individualist bunker, you know, basically, you know, we, <laughs> Oh, we know we have <laughs> anyway, I'm forgetting the exact expression, but yes, basically mm-hmm. it seems like it's both a better way to go in terms of your at the, just a better way to be, but also a more likely way to survive is to do it in community. Yeah. Um, you know, and co- collectively and, um, that we're wired for that. That's how we've survived as a species, you know, um, mm-hmm. uh, we're wired for mutuality as well as, you know, we seem to be a bit wired for, some rugged individualism, but we are definitely wired for mutuality and it is how we've survived as a species and, and, um, in, you know, many smaller social units have survived that way. Um, and only that way. I can tell already that, uh, listening to this episode and, and, and just finding out there's good, this is going, there's going to be many, many show notes to this particular episode. I'm looking forward to, to a lot of follow-up here. What's a sh- what's a show note? Is that a written thing, yep. or is that a, is that a follow-up show? What's a show note? <clears throat> I'm gonna we're gonna re-listen to this conversation, uh, and we're going to glean from every sentence. There's going to be probably some kind of link, a quote, a uh, uh, a reference to a book or to a person or to a you know to 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 Leela Watson for example just to be able to give credit where credit is due and also so that we can all dive in a little deeper to uh some of the bigger concepts that we've been introducing here super so in that in that spirit um and I think we're it sounds like we're wrapping so I just want to um giving credit where credit's due I want to correct a thing that I had slightly wrong which is it wasn't women of the well uh in that myth uh the pre that sort of arthurian era myth um that was the kind of alternate creation slash destruction myth, but it was voices of the well. Mm. And that's from the Cornwall region of, of England. And you can, I, there's a really great podcast uh, where a woman who's, whose name I forget, but we can find it, um, has been collecting those stories um, and l- stories like them. Mm. And um, that could be part of those uh, show notes. Um, and also just in terms of accountability, uh, not only does Katie not want me to wear a, a um, <laughs> But I, I had, he's been lurking of uh, doing her own work in the other room, listening to the three dudes. Um, <laughs> all, I had to be a better bozo. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to tell you guys at the outset, you know, it feel like there was a feminine presence lurking, uh, monitoring us. So I, I led you into the trap and we'll see <laughs> if she's approving or uh, has some show notes of her own for me. Oh, I can't uh, wait. <laughs> after this call. Uh, so uh, there you are. Uh, Hi, Katie. Hello, Katie. Thanks for being there. <laughs> there she is. Hi, That's Katie. <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's all kinds of ways accountability can happen. <clears throat> uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'll, you know. Maybe you'll share some of the show notes that Katie gives you. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Awesome. That's great. Collective okay, liberation. Right. Cool. Yeah. That's right. That's what's happening.
Andrew, it's very good to meet you. Thank you yeah, so much for taking the time. Yeah, it's it good. Uh, it's a pleasure to talk to you guys. It's good practice for me. This is sort of, you know, I have to, you know, you can't just write a book and then slink off and, you know, into the corner. They, they want you to say things about it. It makes me anxious. So this is a way for me to, you know, see if I can find, you know, like be a good uh, ambassador for the book. You know, um, uh, the joke I always have is my books are way, way, way smarter than I am, you know, because you get to cut this shit down, right? And say all the things and cut away all the dumb stuff. And then you speak about it. (laughs) Thanks for giving me the opportunity to, um, you know, pre-flight or just find my, find my legs, find my sea legs and and talking about some of this stuff. Oh, I, I, we really appreciate it. I really appreciate it. And, and I'm, and I'm really looking forward to unpacking the next book too. Fantastic. I think we can, I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's coming up soon. And then at an episode near you. The Mensch with an Edge book. Yes. Yes. That's right. The other, the other unfinished book. Um, <laughs> All right, one thing right. at a time. Well, hey, at least you've got unfinished books. I don't even have a book started that's unfinished. All right, well, you have made the wiser choice. Sir. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah. guys. Thanks, Thanks Andrew. Thank you very much. We'll be in touch. All right, All right. peace.